Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and in the studio today, as always, it is Gregor Robertson and alongside Gregor, it's Tom Clark and Alison Rudd. Hello, everyone. Everyone Hello. good? Hello. After our recent adventures, Gregor, we had you in Milan. Alison, you were in Madrid. Shall I stop Tom? talking about it? Tom, is there <laughs> anything that you'd like to tell us about? Your um, I haven't anywhere? been anywhere that exotic. Oh, that's a shame. I have been to Accrington, though. Uh, and I watched the mighty Lincoln City lead three times and then concede a fourth goal in the 95th minute. Oh. And I was very, very wet and very, very cold. But I did try out my new uh, uh, waterproof coat and it's very good. Oh, well. So, you you know, so not as wet as you suggested. Quite literally every cloud. <laughs> <laughs> OK, coming up, we're going to have an Erling Haaland love-in, discuss whether we like Diego Simeone's tactics at Atletico Madrid, and we'll see if we can come up with a better excuse than Harry Maguire's <clears throat> natural reaction to straighten his leg into poor Mishi Bashawai's groin. All that to come after this. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on. Settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It was a disappointing night for Tottenham as they went down 1-0 at home to RB Leipzig in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 clash. Without the injured Harry Kane and Hyungmin Son, they didn't look the same force going forward as they were outplayed by Leipzig, who sealed their advantage with a Timo Werner penalty. And there was a worrying moment for Spurs fans on the hour mark when Dali Ali was taken off and he wasn't happy about it. He slammed a water bottle to the ground before taking his seat on the bench, and then, well, his poor boots got it. They were flung to the ground, and it's led to a lot of people talking about whether or not his reaction was uh, justified. Gregor, is it okay for a player to react like that? I, I think so, but a lot of managers don't. Mm. Um, also, I mean, his boot bounced pretty high. I think it nearly could have hit a teammate in the face or mm. something. Um Look, I mean, it shows that he cares. That's that's the kind of the first answer that you're going to come up with, uh, and it's true. He's obviously disappointed at the way the team's played and possibly the way he's played. Um, but managers don't like any attention to be drawn to a decision that they've made. Um, and I know that from experience. I I remember um, Gary Megson's first game in charge of Nottingham Forest. He played me in midfield, so it's kind of I'm not going to draw comparisons between me and Del Alley here, but. Um, we were played out of position we were both played out of position that's all I'll say <laughs> uh, and I, I got taken off after about an hour um, and I was pretty angry I went off down the tunnel um, oh, what a diva and, well I also had a knock so I was you always of, knew you I had used it that, in this is, we come to excuses later I had, a, I had a knock so I was getting a bag of ice one of those yeah, things yeah of course you were um, but then when it came to I'd been in every every squad every match day squad for 18 months or something and it came to the, the Friday after that, and the team sheet went up. And my name wasn't on it, so 
So I, oh. I went to knock on his door, and he wouldn't even he wouldn't even see his, his receptionist came <laughs> came back here and said, "No, he's not seeing you." So I was like, clearly he wasn't happy by by that. What, he and up. did he ever explain? Well, I tried to see him for about a week after that, and he, he basically refused. To. He said the the only time he would see any players was on a Monday, and there was often quite a long queue with Gary Megson. Right. So, um, no, he, he he never really explained it to me. He explained it to the players in a team meeting afterwards. So that's how you found out. Yeah, through the lads. So it was, you know, I think that was a bit underhand. But anyway, the point is, managers do not like mm. any attention drawn to a decision they've made because they feel it's for the the best interest of the team. And I'm sure most players would know that. But uh, Deli Ali, for whatever reason, decided to, to vent his frustration. Um, Alison, does that show good character in some ways about Ali, do you think? The fact that he may well be annoyed by either his performance uh, or the fact that he's been taken off because he doesn't want to come off? I'd, I'd, I've got a thing against players who sit and scowl for that long. Mm-hmm. Really, if he's got good character, that would mean he would bury the disappointment and be just trying to give off a good vibe. Let's, you know, exude confidence from the bench. I know it's a tiny, tiny thing and the players don't see the shots that you see at home on the telly. And I know the opposition aren't looking at him, but you've got to believe, you know, in in the whole holistic thing that a player on the Spurs bench looking quite that cross with life isn't a... It isn't a. It's. It, it. It can only be negative, mm. and it does. I think it smacks slightly of a subconscious player power because every player, certainly, of the type of Deli Ali, they know they'll be at the club longer, or if they want to be, they can be at the club longer than any manager. That you know, any impact from him having a poor game or a good game or being cross about it or visibly cross about it will ultimately lead to Mourinho's exit, not his. So, I, if you just to answer you completely narrowly <laughs> on the question of character, then no, because a yeah. good character would be aware of all that and think t- tonight with the depleted team we've got, being part of making the whole greater than it probably is. Let's, I should, he should be acting in an encouraging manner. After, mm. uh, yeah, sure, an initial disappointment. We all, we all accept that. No one wants to see a player happy to come off. That would be weird. But no, it's it's it was just a bit self-centred, probably. Tom, which sort of the side of the fence are you on? Are you on the, maybe it was a petulant reaction from Deli Ali, or actually it's a reaction of showing he cares? Well, I'll never get away with it if I'm not completely honest, because anyone who's played six aside with me will know that <laughs> I've done far worse than throw my boots on the floor. Um, what have you done? Oh, let's not, honestly, you know, you're not allowed to swear, are you, on, on the podcast? <laughs> um, producer Max is shaking his head. Um, but I, I think, uh, to take up Gregor's point about managers not liking it, I'm not so sure about that one in this case. I think Jose Mourinho actually loves it. There's a mm-hmm. whole little kind of soap opera happening on the Tottenham touchline this season. It started when he took over with the ball boy who, you know, got an assist and everything's all happy and everything's great. And then you've got, you know, the VAR incident at Man City when they're laughing and joking and then trying to get Raheem Sterling sent off. Then you've got Jan Vertonghen sat on the bench thinking, is my career over? And now you've got Deli Ali. All we ever talk about is whatever happens on the Tottenham bench. No one's talking about what's happening on the pitch. <laughs> That's which, why he likes Which it, isn't perhaps. great, which actually maybe does Mourinho a massive favour. Because last night, you know, not the most inspired tactics, you know, slightly narrow-minded. Any Tottenham fan that I know isn't particularly impressed with what's happening on the pitch. And here we are talking about Deli Ali throwing boots around off the pitch. But to uh, counter that... Mourinho has 
erroneously, but he's decided to go down this path. He has praised Tottenham getting results because they are a family. That's just nonsense, isn't it? Well, well, <laughs> well this proves it. I mean... You, so you know. he, I don't think he'd be very happy about that narrative being quite evidently inaccurate. No, but I think he's kind of, he, you know, it's just a... You know, it's it's strange to me how that is what we're talking about. Even when it was good and they had a few good results, it was still him and his ball boy mate on the touchline, and it's all about what's going on off the pitch. So I don't necessarily agree that. I think he probably does like it because it's helping create a narrative around players and things, which is helping when he says comments about Tangay and Dombele, who's one of their better players or potential potentially better players, big summer signing, who he can't seem to get the best out of, doesn't know how to use him. Has already made hints about, you know, his form and fitness and things. Um, it's uh, it's a good distraction for Mourinho, I would say. Mm. Do we think then there are signs of fractures in the Spurs camp? When you mention what he sent about and Dombele, now he's mentioned Deli Ali. Okay, he was asked the question, but uh, the way he responded was, "Well, Deli has just annoyed at himself." Um, when he first got the job or when he was axed from Manchester United he did say that he would take time out and try and reassess himself and, and be a different manager but it doesn't really seem like he is any different he's going back to being the same old Jose that is very critical of his players Yeah, I mean I don't think it shows that there's a fracture I think it shows that um, certainly it showed in Daily Alley's performance that he did not feel comfortable playing that way he was chasing shadows for almost his entire time on the pitch and the way that it didn't look, Tottenham as a team didn't look comfortable playing that way either. So kind of conservatively and sitting back and seeding possession, which is such a contrast to what they've been doing for, for the past five years or so. So I think if there's any, likely to be any sort of disharmony in the in the camp, it'll be over that rather than, and I don't think this is this was that kind of being manifested. It's, mm-hmm. I just think that if, if there is going to be any sort of disharmony, it'll, it'll likely be because it's not easy anymore to get a team to play so kind of conservatively and 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 defensive mindedly, you know, we're going to come on and talk about Atletico. That's part of why it's so amazing what what they do is because it's so hard nowadays. Most almost every player in modern football they want to have the ball and pass it and and play sort of progressive football and and that is not what Jose Mourinho is doing. Well, let's discuss Liverpool's first leg defeat to Atletico Madrid on Tuesday night. I mentioned at the start of the pod that. Alison, you were in Madrid. You were at the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium. Uh, before we talk about the game itself, the atmosphere looked incredible leading up to the game with the scenes outside the stadium. What was it like? Oh, well, it was. I came out of the Metro. My first thought was, I've never seen a sunset like that. And I realised <laughs> it couldn't be a sunset. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a building on fire. I realised it wasn't that. They just set up lots of red flares. And as you came out the tube... So the new stadium's on my right, and on my left, there's a a wall, and it looked like a circus act. So you had fan on shoulders and then on their shoulders again, like they were doing some weird balancing act. And they were all silhouetted, so that it looked strange. It, I mean, beautifully strange. And they were all waving scarves and making an intense noise. And this is an hour and a half before kickoff because they wanted to be there to welcome the Atletico bus as it arrived with the players, that, so that when they came round the roundabout and saw this scene, they would know that when Simeone had said, I have faith in the fans, that they'd repaid that faith and they were letting the team know this is going to be a special night because they hadn't done that. This is a new stadium mm-hmm. and it's the locals have been critical of, oh, we haven't got the old vibe, it's, we're not intimidating anymore. And so they were determined to 
give it an extra edge. So it was heaving and packed. And then inside, uh, I first thought, oh, this is overly orchestrated. I mean, the way they release the banners, it's like, you know, like in England, they're sort of carried along by bodies and they go a bit wonky sometimes and there's always somebody who doesn't quite unfurl the top left-hand corner and it's but it was done it was done like it was a theatre production and everything was perfect so I thought maybe a bit too perfect but no once once the action started it was uh actually ear piercing the shrieks when Liverpool were on the ball uh and it you know and Klopp said afterwards it it must have got to the referee because he didn't referee the game properly it was um it was definitely intimidating. I don't know why Gregor's laughing. But one very important point to make, because um, I think we've had a little bit of a go at Gregor and his Prosecco at the Milan derby. When you arrive at the Wanda, you are given, uh, without in, in a gruff fashion, you are given a little white carrier bag, which contains a tiny bottle of water, an apple, a packet of crisps and a monkey sandwich. Don't get any oh. of that at Accrington. No, I know that sounds slightly... Um, like I need too much from a club, but if, I don't know, understand why. If you any any Premier League club in the Champions League, the array of food that you get as the visiting, I mean, I, I'm amazed and embarrassed at the discrepancy. You get you get every every, every every you know Liverpool give them a massive buffet, Chelsea give you a buffet, <laughs> Spurs give you a buffet, big big buffet. Yeah. You, right? I know, <laughs> no, but oh, the ordinary fan, it's a, getting prosecco. You, you don't know how lucky you were. That is not that is not standard. Pastors, that is oh not standard as as a member of the <laughs> British media visiting. A European Did you club. get a buffet at the San Siro? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Various so pasta dishes, some lovely focaccia. Oh, yeah. lovely. Well, I, think anyway. you, I think you won this battle <laughs> of uh, what was on offer. But talking about the game then itself, Atletico struck early through um, Saul Niguez and uh, a dogged defensive display helped them seal a 1-0 victory. But uh, Simeone's side have faced some criticism for the manner of their first leg victory due to some of their dirty tricks, shall we say. Andy Robertson hit back at Atletico after the game, accusing their players of falling over and trying to get under our skin, but followed that up with a reminder that the tie is far from over ahead of the return leg at their Anfield Fortress on March the 11th. Now, Atletico have won 12 of their last 13 home matches in Europe during the other game and keeping 11 clean sheets in this run. There was no shortage of theatrics from the Atletico players with deliberate handballs, pulling of shirts, cynical deliberate fouls perhaps, and, and diving. And that's all with a 27% possession. Do we care about the actual tactics of Atletico, Tom? No, I'm a big fan. Big, big fan. <laughs> Why? Just because I think that's the whole point of sport. You know, Liverpool are the better footballing side and Atletico have to try and work out a way of beating them. I mean, this isn't unique to Liverpool against Atletico. Sorry to hark back to my mighty Lincoln City, but when we were top of League Two, we were the best team in the league. And, you know, we would occasionally get beat by a team lower down the league who would come and kick and dive and fall over and con, us, con the referee into a penalty. And my dad would be sat next to me going mad and going, what's, what's going on? What's, you know, they're just beating you at the, the basics, the kind of the dirty little tricks, which to me, you have to match the opposition on that before you then impart your, you know, superior talent and footballing ability. And so I, I think it's great. And I would also just say on the point of possession, to talk about other statistics, 34.9%. That's the possession of Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund side when they faced Real Madrid in the semi-finals <laughs> of the Champions League in 2013. Uh, defending a 4-1 first leg lead, they lost 2-0 and went through to the final. Um, you know, they, he, his side was the lesser 
side in that match and they did what they needed, needed to do to win. And I thought it was great to see this Liverpool side, which is a brilliant, brilliant team, challenged for once in a different way. The, the tactics, I mean, as you say, they, they nullified Liverpool and that was the job that they, they had to do in Madrid. It, it's some, in some ways, Gregor, it's been lauded as masterclass from Atletico Madrid. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, to see players kind of defending with that fervour is very rare now, I think. Um, I've reminded it's Sol Nuguez and like there's maybe five minutes to go and Trent Alexander-Arnold had the ball in his own corner flag and he harried and, and hounded him down to make sure it wasn't going to go out for a goal kick and to stick, stick out for a throw-in instead. Like, just just kind of tiny little marginal thing. And that was just like emblematic of their defence, their sort of approach for the whole game. And you see Simeone in the touchline kind of riling up the fans and the players. And he's, you know, it's, as I said before, I think it's getting harder and harder to get elite professional footballers to play like that because they, most of them want to, you know, you've got Antoine Griezmann to, to play in a really defensive minded team, one of the best players in the world, and, and he was willing to do it. I, I'm not sure whether someone like Mourinho has got that capability anymore, but we'll leave that for now. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, like, I have no problem with it. In fact, I enjoyed it. I think if I, if I was a Liverpool fan, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I would not have enjoyed it. I would hate yeah. it. You know, it's so frustrating mm. if it's your team you're watching playing against them. But for the neutral, to see two teams with such different styles go head to head, it's brilliant. No, but- and, and just to be clear, Klopp was critical of the antics and the diving around. Yeah. And, and I don't think anyone would say that's good for football. But he did praise um, Simeone's team's concentrated defending. And that was incredibly impressive. Because what I think we all thought would happen was, well, they'll, the home team are going to get tired, they can't possibly keep this up, and then they'll start making mistakes. Just It only needs a fractional mistimed challenge or just not quite being on it, and Liverpool will be through. They did not let up at all, and, and, and Klopp was right to point out that was incredibly impressive. That's the first team that Liverpool have faced this season, because there's been a lot of matches, actually, where teams have stuck at it and been defensive. In fact, before the game, Klopp said he expected it to be like the Norwich game, where it was only 1-0. You know, you mm. kind of think, at some point, it's exhausting trying to contain Liverpool and you won't be able to do it for 90-plus whatever added time there is. But but Atletico did it. They they managed it. And he, and Simeone afterwards was kind of surprised that they did. And and all the local journalists were. This was, this was them really powered by adrenaline and passion and believing in their system that that they probably will never play that well again I think uh, Robertson actually showed <laughs> that he was riled by it I mean he's someone who's not afraid of the little kind of niggling here or there he's always got that kind of big white grin on his face yeah. when he's trying to wind people up and the forearm to the head of Lionel Messi against Barcelona last season comes to mind as well yeah. early doors have some of that so mm. it's fine to do it when you're you know he was he was annoyed. They played a whole game with so much of the ball, and and it got under his skin. Yeah, I mean, uh, every team has it in them, mm. obviously. I just wanted to ask you though, Alison, what did you make of Jurgen Klopp's decision to take Sadio Mane off at halftime, and the reasons that he gave? There might actually have been a slight bit of deflection in that he said it was because he felt he had a yellow card, and he felt he was sure he'd get a second one because they were deliberately fainting when they were within 
three metres of him. Mm, Sadio but Mane I, never never gone down easily in his life, has he? I mean, <laughs> but top lad. But I did feel yes, of course that that's that's fine. That's management, isn't it? If you if you've got a player on a yellow and you think it's the sort of game where they're going to target a player on a yellow, but I also felt Mane didn't look fully fit and wasn't being fully effective. And it's easier for Klopp to say he's taking him off because of what the opposition might do rather than he wasn't having his best game. Also, bog standard old four four two is not yeah. dead. It's not <laughs> it was great, wasn't it? Of four, narrow. You can't get through sometimes great. if you're organised enough. So what about if Diego Simeone wasn't from Argentina? He was from England. He was called Doug Simon. Would we? <laughs> <laughs> would we be? Um... Good name, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is producer Max's take on it. Um, would we? I mean, well, to be fair, both yourself, Tom, and, and Gregor have been in, in favour of the tactics. But Alison, would would we be criticising his tactics? If he was English. Well, yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't get away with that amount of falling over. I mean, some of it. Well, I mean, you know, at one point, Mo Salah was laughing. He couldn't stop laughing at how <laughs> ridiculous it, it become the rolling around, and it it just does feel a bit nineteen ninety two, doesn't it? And yeah, we would, but I don't think. I think we'd still like him to be here. He's hilarious. He's 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 Jekyll and Hyde. He's on the touchline. He looks like somebody. I've got to have him round for dinner. I, I must come to my party. I've got to know that man. But when you actually in a press conference with him, he's dour and <laughs> almost unpleasant and doesn't really want to talk at all. He's clearly just trying to get into your head, Alison. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the lunchbox. It's like the lo- little lunchbox. He's trying to wind you up. But I, w- I would just be interested, Alison, in your take, having been there. Did it, was it one of those games where it looked like they could have played another 90 minutes and Liverpool still wouldn't have scored? Yes. So do you have concerns for the second leg? No. There's no way they can... No, no. It, it was a special occasion. And I'm absolutely... I, I did... Yeah. When you said... I think what somebody mentioned Liverpool lost. And I thought, oh, did they? <laughs> Didn't feel like it. It right. feels to me like Liverpool will go through quite easily. No concerns whatsoever. And I don't mind you bringing that up next time. <laughs> As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Let's talk about the man of the moment right now, and that is Mr. Erling Haaland. The 19-year-old Norwegian's remarkable scoring form continued on Tuesday as his two goals, including an absolute screamer, gave Dortmund a 2-1 win over PSG in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie. Uh, some of the stats to just uh, remind you of, if you're not quite aware, um, of the Dortmund new striker are simply mind-blowing. 39 goals Six hat-tricks, 11 goals in seven games for Borussia Dortmund. Ten goals in seven Champions League matches. He's already reached double figures in the Champions League, which is f- and he's done it in four games faster than any other player in the competition's history. He's the only teenager to reach double figures in a single season in the Champions League, which is something that Mbappe, Ronaldo and even Messi couldn't manage. In fact, he scored more goals in the Champions League this season than the entire Barcelona team and all of this of course for just 20 million euros when he joined Dortmund from Red Bull Salzburg last month and that is despite interest from Manchester United and Juventus so when you hear all those stats about him is he Gregor the best young player in world football right now I think for players you know teenagers doing it on the biggest stage like that the only guy who can compete with them was in his team Jaden Sancho but they're obviously such different players um if you'd ask me who's the most thrilling player, young player, 
then it's, it's him all day because he's like, he's something that's kind of almost never been seen before, and that he's you know this might sound controversial. He's actually not that good technically. He's oh, not, he is. He's not. He is. I mean, compared to Sancho, <laughs> compared to a Callum Hudson Odoi, compared to the greatest players who like all the best players. People you've put in the, the realm, the category of the best players in the world, Ronaldo, Messi, he's nowhere near them. But he's got everything else. He's got every, and he's you know, obviously he's very good technically. He can bring people into play. He's got a hammer of a left foot. But he's it's his athleticism and his kind of mentality, his confidence. It's and and his size and his sort of big lumbering strides. It's like a bulldozer. He's like isn't a he? he's like a wrecking ball when he gets in mm-hmm. full flight, and it's kind of your jaw slackens a little bit. And that's what I mean by it's something that really you haven't seen before. So he kind of propels himself up into that category of being one of the best players in the world, in world football. He'll, he'll be a very different type of best player in the world. Well, Alison, you, you say he's technically gifted. Well, I watched a showreel of his goals, which is a great thing to do. And I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I thought, oh, wow, how technically gifted he is. The way, the way his first touch, the way he's, he thinks ahead... Clearly instinctive. You don't plan it, but he his first touch plays it to where he wants to be able to go, so that he can then go around the defender or just unleash an amazing shot. It's it does sometimes, but there, there's times where gifted, there's times naturally. where it looks like he's not grown into his body. He's like he's so so off the cuff and so kind of he looks out of control almost. Yeah, but you see that I think we're looking at the same thing in a different way. I could see Maybe. he was sort of almost gangly and yet managed not to be, which I was so impressed by. And that is good technical ability, surely. Yeah, I mean, of course he's good, but I, I just think, you know, my point is the kind of type of player you see someone who's so nimble-footed and skillful, like a Jaden Sancho who does lollipops and spins past people, and, you know, he doesn't do that. He's all about power and strength and unpredictability. I don't know whether they've played against each other yet, but I'd love to see him go up against Delit from Juventus, Matthias <laughs> Delit, who was the kind of defensive version of this for me last season when I was watching the Champions League. Mm. I mean, it just, you know, don't want to use that cliche Rolls-Royce defender or whatever because he was more than that. He had that kind of athleticism that Greg is talking about, Erling Haaland having. A kind of giant of a man, you know, completely dominated Cristiano Ronaldo in their in their quarterfinal, I think it was. Um, so I'd like to see those two go head-to-head, see if he can get past Delit, and then I'll, then I'll decide whether he's the best in the world. How does he compare then to some of our favourite European stars of... Of yesteryear, Alison. Can we compare him to anybody? No, no, not in terms of his size and just the whole, whole, all his attributes are slightly startling. But I, we we do laud young players all the time. I mean, Pele was 17, you know. I mean, Mm. ever since then, it's been on and on and on. If you're a teenager and you play well and look like you're enjoying your football, I think that's the key. Mm. Because it's slightly counterintuitive to be that good and to have an influence in a dressing room if you are a teenager. But if you can look like you're enjoying it and rising above expectations and so on, then the media will latch on to you. I, mean, I remember I remember um, going to see Michael Owen playing, it was an FA Cup fifth round, I think, against Sheffield Wednesday. And he was still a teenager, still not that that, you know, he was on the cusp of being famous and I wrote something about this there was something something about music and football was 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 relevant and I said they're going to be singing mad about the boy because it was all about him being young 
and talented. It didn't matter that he was talented. What mattered was that he was young and talented. And I think we do always focus on someone who's young because we think that means they've got something natural. They haven't sort of learned it through a succession of great managers and great teammates. There's some innate talent there and we feel privileged to be watching it. But I was at the World, World Cup in Russia and everyone was going on in a similar fashion about Mbappe. <gasps> Never seen anyone so fast. Never seen anyone so young and so comfortable on the world stage. This will keep on going. And I, 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 hope, I hope he just gets better and better. But it's not I think we do lot, We laud players more now as well, like in a social media age as well. Mm. But I saw somebody saying, imagine Michael Owen emerging now. Wayne Rooney. Well, well I'm, I was going to say Wayne yeah. Rooney because I played against him when he was 15 in the FA Youth Cup. And I was at Forest and he was at Everton. And you know, there was a lot of hype around him. And he, he had this kind of aura about him. It was like he had some kind of he had menace. There was a menace behind his sort of youthful exuberance. Um, and he he just wanted the ball. He wanted, it was like he was playing he was playing in the park with his mates. Um, Did you go I, into that game knowing about him? Though? We knew about him, but. I mean, there was guys in our team who played for in England age groups with him. But after the game, our manager, John Pemberton, said, he's the next Alan Shearer. And then a few months later, we saw him curl that free kick in, uh, that goal in against Everton. And we were like, well, the gaffer was right for once. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, to, to me, Erling Haaland is one of the good things about the Champions League because he's kind of, you know, not we're not invested in him because he doesn't play for Manchester City or Liverpool or anything like that. And I think that's what's nice and... You know, it reminds me of watching the Champions League and some of the players that never played in England. I remember watching David Trezeguet play for Monaco against Manchester United and scored a goal at Old Trafford that was kind of a bit Haaland-esque. He kind of just took a touch out of his feet and smashed it straight into the top corner. And that's what's so brilliant about him. And I hope he never, ever comes to a Premier League side so that we can just enjoy him, you know, completely... You know, free from. What are you trying to say? What would happen if you came to the Premier League? Oh, we'd be talking about when throwing boots on the ground when he substituted and all that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> let's just keep moaning about our own players and let's just enjoy Erling Haaland. So you think from if a we, distance. Are you saying if we knew him better, we we'd probably find things about him we didn't like? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You'd start kind of nitpicking at him, whereas you, there's just a pure joy in not necessarily following Dortmund all the time sitting down to watch a game and going, my God, that guy's unbelievable. You're talking about yeah, inverted snobbery slightly, aren't you? I could be, yeah, I don't know, you tell me. But there are it people who, there are people as well who, you know, will only have seen him for the first time maybe in that Dortmund game. I, the, piece, the piece I wrote online, yeah. there was somebody underneath, commenting underneath saying yeah. that's the first time I'd seen him live. Oh my God. Yeah. So it is kind of, people are still... Yeah. Still learning about yeah, him. absolutely. Still finding out all, all fresh and anew. Yeah. So, do you know one of my favourite bits uh, about that game is uh, after Hazard was taken off just before they scored the first goal, Dortmund, the the front three, if you like, um, Sancho, Haaland, and uh, Reina, Giovanni Reina, were born in London, Leeds, and Sunderland. Nice. There you go. They've they've been in England. They don't need to. They don't you know, need to come back. They don't <laughs> yeah, need yeah to they've come done back. their time. They've done their time. <laughs> okay. Now, we've managed to not upset Alison on this podcast by mentioning the dreaded three little letters of VAR. <laughs> However, on Monday night, it was at its opinion-splitting best at Stamford Bridge when the Manchester United defender, Harry Maguire, escaped punishment for an outstretched leg into Mishi Bashawai's groin. Ouch. Uh, Roy Keane believes VAR let Maguire off because of his personality, whilst Maguire came up with his own natural explanation for appearing to kick out of Bashawai. This is what Maguire had to say on it. He says, I knew I caught him, but I felt like he was going to fall on me and my 
natural reaction was to straighten my leg if he was to fall on me to hold him up. Obviously, I've got studs on my boots and it probably looks worse than it does on TV, but it was my natural reaction. It wasn't a kick out. It wasn't any intent or anything like that. It was just my natural reaction to straighten my leg. And if he was going to fall on me just to hold him up, I knew I did catch him and I knew at the time, but I think it's the right decision in the end. I apologise to him, but it was nice that the referee saw sense. So... A natural reaction to straighten my leg into Bashawai's groin is the excuse that Harry Maguire has given. Does anyone believe that? He's got a career in politics waiting, hasn't he, <laughs> Harry Maguire? I mean, he's talked his way around that beautifully. I'm, I'm you convinced. Could, you could see him hiding the smirk and everything. Yeah, in that <laughs> absolute nonsense. He's definitely given him a little dig. Um, so, no, I don't believe him at all. But I, like, I admire him for trying. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you want to say natural reaction? Exactly. <laughs> uh, it did very, very well. Um, but yes, uh, remarkably, he wasn't sent off. Uh, a lot of people comparing it to um, Hyung Min Son, and he was sent off for his similar situation with um, Rudiger, wasn't it, in yeah. the uh, Chelsea game. Uh, does anyone believe it should have been a red? Well, I don't believe you should backtrack to previous incidents. Then, I mean, no no incident is the same at all. No. Just because one player gets sent off in a similar-ish situation, it does not mean... They're, they're, that's not how football's run, and I'm not, I, I would hate it if people decided it should. We're back to the algorithm thing, where you, you take a human interpretation altogether and just feed an incident into a computer and compare it to 60,000 other incidents around the world and conclude it's most like that one and that one led to a red card I don't think I thought you said we weren't going to upset Alison (laughs) wow (laughs) do I sound cross sorry Uh, (laughs) but those will argue about the consistency and how it's not consistent if Son can be sent off for something that is very similar I mean it looked pretty identical to me no it's not it's not identical at all it really it can't it cannot be identical it cannot be it cannot be identical it cannot be identical and you have to brings us back to the only person really who because none of us are believing Harry Maguire is telling the absolute truth. So you have to have an independent arbiter on the pitch. Oh, that's a referee, isn't it? And he's there. He's there watching the game in the man, the manner the, the manner in which it's being played, the pace, the amount of bile there is going on. He knows what the game is like. And if he decides on the balance of probability, the way the game is flowing, he doesn't feel it's a red. Unless something ha- unless something happens, <laughs> this is how VR is supposed to happen, isn't it? If unless VR spots something like Harry Maguire having a little pocket knife he pulls out of his shorts, <laughs> and you, the referee didn't see it, if it if the, if it's if an argument is there, you go with the referee because he he can see he can see things that you cannot see on television, you cannot see on a monitor, and you cannot see if you're a biased fan, and you cannot see if you're a dishonest player. So just because. Son got sent off for something similar. It does not automatically follow that Harry Maguire should have been sent off. There was enough element of doubt there for the referee's decision to stand. Are you buying that, Gregor? No, it's a red card. <laughs> okay. I'd have sent him off as well. Yeah. So, Gregor, why then? Why was, should it have been a red card? Uh, because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. I think the, the idea that Batshuayi falling on top of him would be some kind of grievous, wounding incident. That's uh, lunacy. He... And you saw, you can simply see his foot. You know, if he's wanted to hold him up with his leg, which is also no mean feat, then you'd hold your leg still. He thrust his leg towards him. <laughs> I don't think it's it's a no-brainer, really. I understand it was off the pitch. It was kind of the ball had gone gone away. It didn't really interfere with how he played, developed, anything like that. But it was violent conduct. Hmm. And Tom, you thought it was a red as well. 
Yeah, I think so. You can see when you watch the whole incident, Maguire goes to clear the ball. Batshuayi kind of follows him, follows him, you know, into a challenge, catches him a little bit. She could understand why he'd be a bit annoyed about that. Sends him to the to the ground, and so Maguire kicks out. Red card. Okay. Well, ultimately, Harry Maguire did get away with it in the sense that. There was no red card dished out to him in the game, but uh, are we willing to admit to any excuses that we've used in the past and got away with? In life or in football? Oh, no, because no, it's, a dangerous, it's a dangerous game. A little, little bit of both. That's why a dangerous, not? dangerous game. I would just like to, you know, uh, you know, Harry Maguire, I think, has learned a few tactics from um, a certain impressive manager, Jurgen Klopp, who's used the wind, the pitch being too dry, <laughs> and snow for drawing games uh, in previous seasons. You're very anti-Klopp, aren't you? I don't know what you're talking about. I think he's a great, great lad, by all accounts. <laughs> great lad, yeah. Good manager, great good lad. team. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure I feel comfortable admitting to any of my excuses because it might get me in trouble. But the, one of my favourite <laughs> excuses in football ever is um, Italy at the World Cup. Uh, not at the World Cup, sorry, at the Euros in 2004. They drew nil-nil with Denmark. It came off the pitch afterwards and Francesco Totti blamed his boots and said they make my feet too hot. And just when all the reporters thought that was the most bizarre thing they'd heard, they then went and spoke to Christian Panucci, his teammate, who said, no, nah, mate, it's not the boots, it's the socks. <laughs> and he said, I had blisters on my heels at the end of the game. I'm, not, I'm just going to do an Italian accent, I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, the thread of these socks, the socks were made of, was too rough, and that's why I played badly. I mean, that's the most brilliantly Italian thing you've ever heard, isn't it? <laughs> the thread count in my socks was not good oh, enough. Dear, dear, dear. Absolutely. See, I can sympathise with that. I don't mean to, like, ruin your excuse here. But loads of players, the reason why they cut their socks off and wear those little white ones... You've had sock woe before, have you? Absolutely. The socks are often too thin when you're... So if they've got these big, thick ones, especially in the blazing heat of a World Cup, then maybe, maybe it was why he played bad. That's rubbish. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've scored a goal with a broken wrist because if you want to, you can. <laughs> You've handball, handball. You've cheated, is what you're saying. No, no, I broke my wrist because I was in goal. Oh, I thought you punched it in with a cast. I thought that's what no you're one, saying. No one, no one, no one really cared. So I trotted off to go to hospital, and then the ball was at my feet, and I thought I might as well score on my way to the hospital, and did. <laughs> so socks what? aren't going to bother me. So Have you shouldn't, been, they shouldn't. Bother so you've technically been subbed off, is what you were saying. This is outrageous. I can't believe it, it Alison. Was, I thought you were an per- outstanding no, no, person of honour. I honor. don't moan. So no one knew I was going to hospital. I just I'll just quietly go to hospital. Well, I'd like to think someone knew because um, your team would have been a player down. <laughs> you just walked just, off. Just, just trotted off. Back <laughs> in a minute, off. lads. <laughs> okay. but that, if you, if, um, I suppose what I'm saying in a roundabout way is that is an excuse and not a reason, isn't it? So it's a good, it's a good example, Tom. Because it's, a good it's excuse. an excuse. It is not a reason. No. Because you, this morning I played tennis and I got cramp in my toes, and I still won. I still won because I decided to ignore it. Very and that's good. because Alison is just ultra competitive. As Very well. good, Gregor. Um, you must have had because surely I did a Ross McCormack once, and I blamed my gate for for uh, missing the team bus. You got locked in your and own I'd house. Actually, fallen asleep. Oh, so it was a lie. So I. I you know, they they bought it in the in the sense that the bus didn't like roar off and leave. It waited around for a rang and said, "That was my gate, it was my gate." When in fact I had like bedhead, and I was <laughs> driving down to the ground to meet the bus. Uh, I was still fined heavily for it. So, Ooh, so they you, you remember Ross McCormack blaming his gate yes. for Aston get Villa out. and Steve Bruce? Did you have one of them fancy gates? It was an apartment block. I didn't have like a mansion though. So, oh, man of the people. 
Yeah. I mean, he's not telling you that he owned the whole block. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Gregor's career is one long list of misdemeanours, isn't it? <laughs> That's the beauty of this pod. That's yeah, what we're learning more yeah. and it's, more. It's nice. Imagine the things he's not told us. It's always the broken washing machine for me. Go on. I seen. I thought that if I'm ever late, late for a pod, yeah, oh. Oh, it's a washing machine. I have to I wait for someone in to fix. I have a broken washing machine, but I'm here. I don't think I've not even got a washing machine. What? Oh yeah, no, I have. I have. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I definitely have. I can't believe you've I not can't. talked about Gordon Strachan's one with Scotland. Oh, that was cool. Scotland. Oh, that's, I find that kind of creeps me out. Though. Bit weird. What about was the how you're all like? little. Gordon Strachan. Oh yeah. When they failed, um, failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> Blames said the that height. the height of his team said genetically we are behind maybe we can get big women and men together and see what we can do <laughs> You're he, not also that short. That, he also said that like scottish players should all train on sand because it improves your like your core stability like Brazilians, so we should go and play down in kind of Troon Beach in the howling wind and rain. Good idea, Gordon. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.